Hey guys, welcome to episode 8 of The Daily Churn. Today we'll be trying something a little bit different, and I know I said that last week as well, but don't worry, next week will be the August recap of things I've been churning in August, and based on the episodes I've done so far, I think that's been the most popular one, so we'll get back on track with pure churning next week, but for today I wanted to get into the Hyatt Hotel program. I realize we're getting dangerously close to just talking about a war travel, and this is a churning podcast, but I kind of think of churning as more a mentality versus it being specifically about, let's say, credit cards or bank accounts. You know, it's more for me about really maximizing and figuring out a system and having that system work to your advantage. And I've been a globalist before that, a diamond at Hyatt for just over 10 years now. And I wanted to share some of the things that I've learned over the last 10 years, because I've definitely been approaching Hyatt from a churning perspective. And it's been on my mind lately because friends and family have become more interested in the Hyatt program because of this new thing they've been doing called Guest of Honor, which I'll be getting into as well. So my selfish reason for doing this is that instead of sending out a bunch of texts and emails and discussing it for the umpteenth time in person, I can just forward them this podcast in the future. And a lot of the podcasts out there for like award travel or blogs, they generally cover things on a more general basis. You know, they'll talk about like, there's a great deal here at the Hyatt or you can transfer chase points over, etc. But they don't really get super deep into the core of the Hyatt program, why it's so great how you can maximize and reach their top tier status, why it's worth it. That's kind of what I want to get into today. So yeah, let's dive in. The history on how I ended up being with Hyatt for so long was back in 2010, I was a traveling IT consultant and I was young and very down to stay in hotels. And I ended up being Diamond, which is what they called it back then with Hyatt, as well as Diamond with Hilton and Platinum with SPG before they merged with Marriott, just through pure actual revenue stays. That's how many nights a year I was staying in hotels and I was able to get top tier across three different programs. So I was doing that for a few years until I switched jobs and settled down a bit more and traveling wasn't happening as much, but I'd really grown to like the Hyatt program. And so from I think like 2014 onwards, it became, okay, how do I maintain top tier status at Hyatt without actually doing all these expensive revenue stays that were previously being paid for by my company? So that's when the churning approach really set in. And the hotel equivalent, I think of churning is essentially mattress runs, which is where you're staying at the hotel just to acquire night or stay credit and you're not actually for the most part even sleeping in the hotel you're just checking in and getting that credit so that you reach the minimum number of stays or nights to reach a certain tier i won't get into all of the crazy stuff i've done over the last 10 years to maintain status at the hyatt but most recently with the pandemic, Hyatt ran a pretty interesting promotion earlier this year that reduced the requirement to reach Globalist from 60 nights down to 30 nights. Then on top of that, they ran a secondary promotion where nights you stayed counted for double nights. So you only needed 30 nights to get to Globalist. And now the nights you do stay count for double, which means you only then needed 15 nights to get to Globalist. Then on top of that, if you have the Hyatt credit card, the Hyatt credit card gives you five nights of credit automatically. 
And so that reduced it from 30 nights down to 25 nights that you needed. And if you halve that, because the nights count for double, you only needed 12 and a half nights or 13 nights in order to get to globalist status, which then lasts all of this year, all of next year and into February of 2023. And so this year, it's been super easy to maintain status at a hotel chain and not just Hyatt. All the chains were offering some kind of promotion, but Hyatt's one was really good. And honestly, it hasn't been this good since back in 2010 when I first started, because that was during the period right after the Great Recession and hotels were struggling then as well. So really, it's whenever there's a recession, it becomes extremely easy to get status at a hotel because they're really trying to bring in customers. So of course, I just booked a really cheap hotel for about a week. It was, I believe, under $60 a night for a cheap Hyatt. And there were some Amex offers around at the time as well that was giving another, I think, $50 back for spending 300 or so at Hyatt. I booked that, didn't stay, just checked in, ruffled up the bed and did a mattress run where I got the credit. Then I also booked another week using points, again, as a mattress run where the hotel is only 5,000 points a night. And so essentially for a few hundred dollars and about 30,000 points, I was able to refresh my globalist status until February of 2023. But if you're new to the whole hotel award travel thing, or maybe you actually prefer to stay at Marriott's or Hilton's, you might be wondering, A, is that even worth what you spent to get that status? And then B, why not the other chains? Why Hyatt? If you've checked out any of my previous episodes, you might have noticed there's a theme with this podcast, which is that I tend to only talk about the best thing in a category, whether that's the best interest rate or the best brokerage. With hotels, Hyatt hands down has the best loyalty program, period. It wasn't always this clear of a difference, but with Hilton devaluing the crap out of their points and Marriott coming in and purchasing and bonvoying SPG, Hyatt is really the last holdout for delivering actual tangible value through their loyalty program. So let's get into some of the reasons why it's so good. I think top of mind for any churner is the fact that Chase Ultimate Reward Points transfer directly to Hyatt on a one-to-one basis. Chase also transfers to Marriott on a one-to-one basis, but Hyatt points are considerably more valuable than Marriott points. With Hyatt, their top tier Category 7 hotels are only 30,000 points, whereas with Marriott, the top tier goes up to 100,000 points a night. So if you're transferring from Chase, one-to-one into Hyatt is going to be worth at least three times as much as one-to-one into a Marriott hotel. Within Category 7, there's some truly amazing hotels. The Park Hyatt brand is their top tier group within Hyatt and there's hotels in the Maldives, in the snowy mountains of Niseko, in Tokyo, all over Asia. And those can all be booked for 30,000 points or sometimes even less depending on which part of the world you're traveling to. There's Park Hyatt's in India that are only category four and only cost you 15,000 points. And so if one of your goals is to maximize the points that you've churned, using it on Hyatt's by doing a transfer from Chase is just amazing value. For example, we're going to the Park Hyatt Niseko and during snowboarding season, rooms go for $2,000 a night. So instead of paying $2,000, we're spending 30,000 Hyatt points, which is, what is that, six to seven cents per point? More than quadruple what the Chase Travel Portal 
is going to offer you at 1.25 cents per point. Then on top of the amazing value of redemption, it's really easy to get Chase points if you're churning credit cards. The obvious offer right now is the Chase Sapphire Preferred for 100,000 points, but beyond that, you can open the Chase Inc. Preferred for, I believe that's either 100,000 or 150,000 points, and you just need to have a business, but that can be yourself as a sole proprietor. Then there's also the Chase Business Inc. Unlimited card, which is another 75,000 points. Then the Chase Business Inc. Cash card, which is another 75,000 points. And so if you add those together, it is 350,000 points from opening four Chase credit cards. And the nice part about the business credit cards is they don't affect your personal credit score and it doesn't affect Chase's 524 rule. So Acquiring Chase points is extremely easy, especially if you have a partner, because now you can essentially do all of those cards twice. And with that massive haul of points, you can either use it for some aspirational travel booking, or you can actually use it to help you maintain status for future years. Because Hyatt also has hotels that are as low as 5,000 points a night, a category one. And when there's promotions running that make it easier to earn status, sometimes you can actually just spend points in order to get status. And in the case of the pandemic promotion, 13 nights at 5,000 points is only 65,000 points. So one Chase credit card would have gotten you globalist status until February of 2023. And even though that double night pandemic promotion is not around anymore, there's always some kind of promotion going on. I've basically churned globalist status with Hyatt for the better part of the last 10 years through promotions and mattress runs. And even right now, the promotion that halved the qualifications this year down to 30 nights is still going on and will be valid for the entirety of this year. If you have a Hyatt credit card, you only need 25 nights because it gives you the five nights credit. And let's say you spend five nights on a real vacation somewhere. So you only need actually 20 nights of mattress runs and at 5,000 points for one night times 20 nights, that's 100,000 points or basically opening one Chase Sapphire Preferred. It's not as good as 65,000 points, but even at 100,000 points, for me, I would value Hyatt Globalist as being worth that if you plan on doing actual travel, real vacations with the Hyatt, let's say in 2022. So let's talk a little bit about why Hyatt Globalist is so valuable. Unlike the other hotel programs, Hyatt has done a really good job of not devaluing their own loyalty program. Hilton has just steadily increased the cost of award nights. Marriott bought SPG and destroyed the previously really good SPG program. And one of the ways in which they've eroded their own programs, both with Hilton and Marriott Bonvoy, is by setting caps on the free breakfast benefit that elites get. Now with Hilton, I believe they capped it to something ridiculously low, like $20. And with Marriott, what they usually do is there's a separate breakfast, a continental breakfast, that's different than the main buffet breakfast you might get as a regular guest. They've created a separate, crappier breakfast just for their elite guests so that they can say they're giving out free breakfast, but it doesn't usually even include, let's say, a hot dish. Hyatt, on the other hand, has taken a totally different approach, which is breakfast or usually just whatever the main breakfast the restaurant is serving. So whether that's buffet or in some extreme positive examples, the Park Hyatt Tokyo, 
will let you order off their breakfast menu anytime during the day, as many times as you want. So you could rack up two, three hundred dollars on breakfast that you eat throughout the whole day. You can order breakfast at 2 a.m. in the morning, and this is all wiped clean off your bill when you check out. Of course, that varies hotel by hotel, but for the most part, Hyatt hotels have been really good about honoring this essentially unlimited breakfast. Then there's the 4 p.m. late checkout, which is usually proactively offered to me when I check in, where you can check out as late as 4 p.m. by being a globalist, which really makes a difference if you're trying to maximize a day at a certain place. It doesn't apply to Hyatt resorts, but even at resorts, I've had a really good rate of success getting 4 p.m. and at worst getting a 2 p.m. checkout. Hyatt customer service is also just top notch. When you call as a globalist, but even as a regular member, you rarely have to be put on hold, and their agents actually seem to know what to do. Like they know how to use the system, and pretty much everything that you need to request through them, whether it's a missing stay credit or some missing points, or have them secure a suite, they handle efficiently. Maybe it doesn't seem like a big deal, but after dealing with Marriott phone customer service, man, if you ever have to call Marriott, just Fingers and toes crossed that you get an agent that knows what they're doing and is able to help you and doesn't have an attitude and isn't having a bad day and doesn't hang up on you and that you're not on hold for an hour before talking to this agent. I've spent countless hours waiting on the phone trying to get a hold of someone at Marriott who could actually resolve some of the most basic issues. So yeah, having such amazing phone support with Hyatt has just been a breath of fresh air. Then there's the big one, the one that really matters, which is room and suite upgrades. Hyatt does an absolutely amazing job pre-upgrading and offering upgrades to elite members like Globalist to either the best room available or the best standard suite available. You might have heard about the four confirmed suite upgrades you get with Hyatt. I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about just showing up at the hotel and being offered an upgrade into a suite proactively. And on the times where it hasn't been proactively offered, I usually just ask, "Hey, is there any chance you'd be able to upgrade us into a suite?" I would say nine to ten times out of ten, when there was a suite showing in the app, they've given me the suite. It is one of those things, though, where you do have to be comfortable sometimes asking for it. And I sometimes read flyer talk where someone's really upset where at check-in they weren't offered a suite, nor do they mention, "Hey, could I get a suite?" You know, and I think not everyone's necessarily comfortable asking, but the trick here is really just to not be entitled about it. You know, it is one of the benefits of being a globalist, but that doesn't mean you can't be a nice person when you ask. You know, it doesn't hurt anyone by you just nicely asking, "Hey, is there a suite available?" And often that is all it takes to make a difference. One thing I also tend to do is a few days before arrival, I'll just send an email to the hotel, being like, "Hey, I'm really excited to stay at your hotel." Any chance you'd be able to confirm a suite for me and my wife ahead of time? And oh, I'd say fifty-fifty. Actually, half the time they actually just respond back, being like, "Hey, we're excited to have you with us. We've pre-confirmed a suite for you." So it really just doesn't hurt to ask. And if you happen to have a special occasion, like a birthday or an anniversary, or I mean, if it's a honeymoon, pretty much hundred percent you're gonna get the suite if the suite's available. And the nice part is, even if you're not that comfortable asking or you forget to do it, I've always at least been pre-blocked into their best room available. 
without any kind of contact whatsoever. It's whatever room they have that's the best, that's not a suite, they will put you in that room without any prodding whatsoever. It's the suite that sometimes requires a bit of extra work. But when it comes to rooms itself, if the hotel has, let's say you book a king room, but they have a deluxe king room or a, a corner room, you'll just get that. The revenue manager just pre-allots you into that room by the fact that you have elite status. And it's kind of to the point now where I sort of don't even think of those as upgrades anymore because I'm so used to getting them and that's probably not a good thing. But the contrast actually was really apparent last year, right around the start of the pandemic. We were, my wife and I, in Japan and through a series of unfortunate events, I ended up in jail for four days in Japan. And during that time, well, before jail, we were staying at the Andaz Tokyo, which is a Hyatt hotel. And um, I was escorted out of the Andaz Tokyo through the lobby by five police officers and then handcuffed down in the valet area. And man, yeah, I mean, it was a whole thing. And honestly, the Andaz Tokyo handled it really well, although I'd probably imagine I'm on their <laughs> maybe blacklist now, or at least there's some kind of a a note on my account to watch out for this guest. But um, they were trying to help my wife find a lawyer. They offered her an extra night at some super discounted employee rate because they, they felt really bad for her. But she moved over to the Hyatt Regency while I was in jail because she wasn't sure how long I was going to be there. And the Andas Tokyo was pretty expensive, whereas the Hyatt Regency was only, I believe, like 100 or $200 a night. And so she checked in and I didn't hear about this until after I, I came out of jail, but she doesn't have any Hyatt status. And so when she checked in, they put her in a, a regular king room that she booked, which was totally fine. Then four days later, when I was released, I wasn't allowed to leave the country for another, I think, 10 days. And so we decided just to keep staying at the Hyatt Regency. But I wanted to recheck in under my name so that we'd get the free breakfast and stuff. And so I booked the same king room. I didn't email or ask for any kind of upgrades. I was just happy to not be in jail. When my wife saw the room, she was like, wow, this is literally like we're staying at a completely different hotel. Both were just regular king rooms. But for me, they put me up on one of the top floors. It was a newly renovated room. I believe it was a corner room. So there was like a couple hundred square feet more space. And my wife was telling me how the room she had was, because she doesn't have any status with Hyatt, was on one of the lowest floors. The windows was looking straight into another building, so there was barely any light. The room was cramped. It was unrenovated. It smelled a little bit funny. And she was just like, wow, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess globalist really does make a massive difference because, you know, usually she always stays with me and I usually have that status. So all those things added together really makes Hyatt stand out above the rest of the programs. And I think part of why they're able to do this is because they do have a much smaller footprint. Hyatt has, I believe, around a thousand hotels, although that number is slowly expanding as they acquire some other chains. But Marriott, I believe, has over 7,000 hotels and it really shows. I mean, the benefit of having a bigger footprint is that you can find a Marriott 
anywhere. But the downside is that it's really hard for Marriott to enforce any kind of consistency across their brands. Through all these acquisitions, they've just gotten such a diverse, confusing range where you don't necessarily know what you're going to get at each hotel. And each of these little sub-brands enforce different rules. That's not the case with Hyatt. Hyatt is really about consistency and they've really honed in on having their sub-brands make sense. With Hyatt, there's really only a handful. There's the Park Hyatt at the top and that's their top tier luxury brand. There's the regular Hyatt Regencies and those are generally more conferency hotels. There's the Grand Hyatt, which is just a, as the name sounds, a grander version of a Hyatt Regency. There's the Andaz, which is kind of their more young, hip, boutique style of hotel. There's the Hyatt-centric, which are the ones that are usually placed in the center of a, a city or town or point of interest. And then there's the cheaper, more budget options of the Hyatt Place and the Hyatt House. And those are great for both mattress runs or if you just need to stay at the airport or stay for a night at some place where you don't really care about the room. And Hyatt has done a really good job of enforcing a sense of consistency within each of these brands. For example, the Hyatt Places, each Hyatt Place is essentially identical to every other Hyatt Place. And that's a good thing because you know when you go to a Hyatt Place, it's going to be very simple, modern and clean. And that's not the case with Marriott. Back in 2019, we'd just moved to a new city and decided to spend, I think, about six months in hotels instead of an apartment because it ended up being cheaper that way. And so we stayed at a lot of residence inns, Spring Hill Suites, Fairfield Inns, Hyatt Houses, Hyatt Places. And let me say the consistency along Marriott's more budget hotels is just not there. Some residence inns were new and nice. Some were so run down that it was almost unstable. Whereas with the Hyatts, every Hyatt place looked exactly the same smelt the same, the room layout was identical, and so you could reliably stay at one and, and feel pretty comfortable. Whereas with Marriott, you really had to do your research ahead of time to see when was this Spring Hill Suites built? Is it a new one? Is it an old one? Was it an old hotel converted into another one? And it just reflects across all of Marriott's brands. Sadly, Marriott Bonvoy is all about increasing volume in terms of volume of people staying and volume of hotels in their chain and reducing costs, whereas Hyatt, thankfully, has taken a different path. And now we get to arguably the best part of the program, at least for people who don't regularly stay at Hyatt's, which is the Guest of Honor program. If you haven't heard of this program before, in a nutshell, what it is, is that you as a Globalist member are able to book a stay for a friend or family member, anyone really, and book that stay as a guest of honor stay using your points. And when you book a guest of honor stay, your globalist status will transfer over to the person you book it for. So if a family member wants to stay at a Hyatt, instead of them booking the stay using their points, they can transfer the points to me. I can book the stay for them as a guest of honor stay, and they'll get globalist benefits during their stay. That means even though they've never stayed at a Hyatt before, they're going to get free breakfast, late checkout, free upgrade to a room or a suite just by factor of knowing me. To do a points transfer is pretty easy. It's not as automated as I would like, but it's also not that bad. You download a points transfer request form online and you both have to sign it and put down how much points you want to transfer and then email it in to a specific email they 
have on the form, and within a few days, the points move over. And there's no limits on how many points you can receive. I think technically you can only receive points once every 30 days, but there's no cap on how many points. And there's no restrictions either on who can send you points. So this doesn't have to be only people living in your household or people with the same last name as you. These can literally just be your friends. So yeah, let that marinate for a second because it's uh, it's a pretty crazy program. And sometimes I wonder like what the hell Hyatt was thinking by introducing this program because there's definitely a little bit of abuse where people are now just selling guest of honor bookings. But I do think that's pretty rare. And then when I really kind of think about the benefits of this program to Hyatt, I kind of see where they're coming from. Because what effectively happens is you're essentially showing the best of Hyatt to somebody who hasn't really been interested or invested in a Hyatt beforehand. And that really creates some interesting potential for loyalty amongst that new person. The friends and family that I've booked guest of honor stays for, they're really stoked on Hyatt now. Whenever they travel, they ask me to book Hyatt guest of honors for them because these are amazing hotels. And I and I have to imagine that to some degree, even if I wasn't around or if they did travel themselves, they would probably stay at a Hyatt. They have such a good, positive recognition now of the Hyatt brand. The downside for me, which I mean, it's really not a downside because I, I don't mind doing it, but I've effectively become the Hyatt guy amongst my friends who now I'm receiving point transfer requests all the time where points get put into my account and I'm booking guest of honors for them. And so, yeah, it's a really interesting program they have. And I don't know if or when or how long this is going to be around. And hopefully they have some data guy working at Hyatt who's able to figure out if this is a a net benefit or a net loss to a Hyatt. I'd imagine and I'd hope it's a net benefit so that this program stays around. But it is one of the best things about being globalist, honestly, is being able to do that for my friends and family. I've now booked honeymoons, anniversaries, vacations with friends where we need three rooms. And instead of us booking three rooms separately, I'll book all three rooms. I'll book my own room and then two rooms as guest of honor so that we all get free breakfast across all three rooms. We all get late checkout and we all get the potential for upgrades. And so it's worked out really well. And as a side effect, now a lot of my friends are opening chase cards and trying to get chase points and getting excited about churning. A common question I get asked amongst friends then is also, what are some good Hyatts to stay at? And so I covered briefly the types of brands that Hyatt has under its umbrella, but I thought I'd end this episode with just a little summary of some of my favorite Hyatts that I've stayed at over the last 10 years. So top of that list is probably the Park Hyatt Maldives. It's only 30,000 points a night. And if you're not familiar with the Maldives, there are this set of islands out in the middle of the Indian Ocean. And it is amazing. They have their own island. The Park Hyatt Maldives is on its own little island. The sand, the water, absolutely stunning. It's really hard to get to. And so that's where the biggest challenge will be. And the hotel itself is starting to show some wear and tear because it's been around for a little while and the salt water and all that stuff gets in to everything. But I believe they recently renovated and it really is a once in a lifetime kind of a honeymoon type experience. And so if that's the vibe you're going for, it's primarily couples, 
Can't recommend it enough. Get certified for scuba diving beforehand because the coral reefs there are absolutely mind-blowing. If you enjoy snowboarding, they just opened the Park Hyatt Niseko a couple years ago. Sadly for them, right before the pandemic hit, but we went in 2020, right before the whole jail incident. Beautiful resort, ski in, ski out onto the mountain. The mountain prices are very cheap compared to how much American ski and snowboard resorts are charging. Of course, the issue is you have to get to Japan, but Japan itself is also amazing because that also has another one of our favorite Park Hyatt's, which is the Park Hyatt Tokyo. It was in Lost in Translation as the hotel he stayed at, and that's where I think it got some of its fame, but it's held up really well throughout the years. And if you remember from earlier in this podcast, this is the one where they have the unlimited breakfast anytime during the day, but absolutely gorgeous hotel. If you can't tell, I'm a bit of a Park Hyatt fanboy. It really is the best value for your points. These rooms regularly go for $1,000 plus a night, and you're getting it for 30,000 points. For more of a regular vacation where, you know, it's not like a honeymoon or anniversary where you're celebrating something, but you're just trying to get away, we love the Andaz brand. They've generally been located in interesting places. There's an Andaz in Costa Rica, there's an Andaz in Mayacoba, which is in Mexico, and we've been really impressed. They're all very laid back, and for example, the Andaz Mayacoba, there's bicycles that you just bike around the property because it's pretty spread out. It's easy to get to via Southwest, and yeah, just a generally pretty easy, chill vacation. There's also a couple lesser-known gems within the Hyatt portfolio, which is the Miraville brand and the Ventana Big Sur, both of which were recently acquired by Hyatt. They're both all-inclusive, but not in the negative way you might think of all-inclusive things. They're very, very unique. So with the Miraville, their focus is on wellness. And what that means is even on points bookings, they give you $175 per night credit per person to spend at the resort. And the resort itself has a bunch of activities. A lot of them are free, but some are paid. There's things like archery, to meditation, to adventure course challenges, to beekeeping, to aerial yoga, all that kind of stuff. And there's also on-site massages. And so you can use that $175 per night on massages. And remember, you didn't pay cash for this booking. Cash usually runs from $1,000 to $2,000 for two people. The downside, though, is that the points cost is higher. It's one of those unique ones that doesn't have a category. And so I think for two, it's 65,000 points a night. But usually at some point each year, they'll have a half off sale. So you're able to stay for about 35,000 points for two people where you're also getting per person $175 per night to spend on any activities or massages. So it is probably the biggest value booking you can make at the Hyatt when you factor all of this in. And it's all inclusive. There's a wide variety of food. A lot of it is healthier, but it's unlimited. So the portions are smaller, but you can have as much of it as you want. And we've really been impressed by the food. It's been delicious both times we've gone. And there's only three Miravilles. There's one in Arizona. That's the original one, and I think their claim to fame was that Oprah early on stayed there. Then they have one in Austin that they opened pretty recently, and there's the newest one, which is in the Berkshires. 
We've only gone to the one in Arizona and the one in Austin, but we've enjoyed both of those. If it's your first time going to a Miraval, I would recommend the original, the Arizona Resort. They have a no phones policy, so you literally can't walk around with your phone. It's kind of a chance to disconnect. And、uh, yeah, I have friends just asking me, "Hey, let me know the next time there's going to be a sale." And honestly, it's looking like this year, due to this post-pandemic boom in travel, they're not doing a sale. Typically, they run their sale during the hottest months in Arizona and Austin because people don't necessarily want to stay when it's 100 degrees, but. We've gone during those hottest times during the sale, and we've had a great time each time. But likely they're not going to do the sale this year. But something to keep in mind: I have a friend who sets up alerts for Miraval sales, so you know anytime there's a sale, she goes and books these. So definitely keep an eye out for that. Then there's the Ventana Big Sur, which was recently acquired by Hyatt and entered their portfolio, and it's all inclusive. And part of the excitement stems from the fact that it is only thirty thousand points a night to book, and the cash rate is two to four thousand dollars a night if you were to book in cash. They've actually, I think, said somewhere or told a guest that the majority of their bookings are with globalists spending points because the value is just immense. But because it is in Big Sur, there's tech people that come down and do a weekend trip, and they're actually booking the cash rate. And so, yeah, there are people doing that. But obviously, I would never pay the cash rate for it. But on points, amazing value. Again, it's all inclusive. The menus I've seen online look really good, and I haven't stayed there yet. But I have a booking for later this year, so excited to try it out. But on Flyer Talk, I mean, this is a fairly new hotel to Hyatt, but There's already, I think, over a hundred pages of comments on it. So very popular. A little hard to get an award booking at this point, but if you are able to book far enough out in advance, or if you are flexible, like if you can just travel in the next two weeks, there's always openings that show up closer to the date and openings further out in the schedule. And if you're not a globalist and you don't have a friend who's a globalist, the nice part about these all-inclusive resorts like Miraval and Ventana Big Sur is that the breakfast is covered anyway, so you don't really get the breakfast benefit of being a globalist. And late checkout really isn't a thing at these resorts because they're resorts, so you'll probably need to check out by 2 p.m. or noon, regardless. They're also excluded from Hyatt's Suite Upgrade Certificate Program. Luckily, there's only a handful of hotels with Hyatt that are excluded, but these are one of them. And so, to secure a suite, having globalist status doesn't really help you all that much. One way you can secure a suite is with any hotel at Hyatt. Actually, you can book a standard suite or a premium suite on points. So instead of it being thirty thousand points for a standard room, you could book a standard suite at the Ventana Big Sur for forty-eight thousand points, or you could book a premium suite for sixty thousand points, which. Is definitely more than the thirty thousand, but if you're looking to go there on a special occasion, sometimes it can be worth it. And I could probably do an entire episode on all of my favorite and worst Hyatts that I've stayed at over the last decade. But I will cut this off here. Sorry, this one got a bit long as well. Thanks for sticking with it. I know it's a little different than the usual churning thing. Definitely let me know if you enjoyed it, or if you'd prefer I stick with only churning topics for future ones. But regardless, next week we'll be doing it purely on an August recap, so that should be fun. Thanks for tuning in, guys. See ya.